by that. That is not a tic-tac-toe game that has gone wrong, okay? If you're not familiar with this, then I'm going to give you a warning because you're going to need these two letters. Valentine's Day is on February 14th. It is 17 days away. Men, if you're buying roses, it's too late. It is now going to be really expensive. But I will encourage you, buy a card. And when you buy a card, you might want to put on the bottom of that card, X-O-X-O-X-O-X-O. Now, as I recommend this to you, let me just say, if you're going to make your card, I'm just going to encourage you, please don't tell your, your wife or your girlfriend, or at least please don't have her tell my wife that you made a card. Let's just go with, well, I bought one, okay? That would be really helpful. But uh, if you're the overachiever, make the card. Now, put some thought in the card when you make it. Don't do one of those, oh, I found a sheet of paper and fold it in force, and then, you know, better put some thought into it. The other thing I'll tell you is be careful on the number of X's and O's you choose. They infer things. If you choose too few, your card may not be well received. So when in doubt, put more, right? And for those of you who aren't familiar, XOXOXO, it's hugs and kisses are actually the X is a kiss and the O is a hug. Why did I tell you this? Yeah, Tom, yeah, that's a good question. KJ, there is no hope. There is no hope for you. We will pray for you. We've already heard your wife share this morning about a season of life and where, no, that wasn't, that wasn't about you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Why do I share this? Because how you end letters matters. If you don't end them correctly or end them well, it will say things and mean things that you may not intend. If you haven't already, I want us to turn over and look at Ephesians chapter 6, the last four verses in Ephesians 6, 21 through 24. And this morning, I want to use what may seem like almost a benign passage, like one that isn't as significant as the rest of the letter of Ephesians to show that there is significance here in the way that Paul brings the letter of Ephesians to a conclusion. I want, to, I want us to look at the updates, the encouragements, and the blessings that we will see here in the end of the book of Ephesians that they show evidences or evidence and expressions of love shaped by the gospel. That as we look at the end of this letter, we will see through the updates, the encouragements, the blessings that Paul gives, evidences and expressions of a love that is shaped by the gospel. And here's the real key point and key takeaway that I want you to remember from this, this closing and benediction of the letter. The gospel affects our affections. The gospel affects our affections. That's the central idea. The key point that I want us to walk away today is that the gospel affects our affections. Now, you'll notice that as I say that, what I'm saying is that who we love changes us. And that's what you're going to see as we go about this. As I talk about how this gospel that, that we have, that it, it is speaking about who we love, and who we love changes us. 
And so as we think through this about who we love and the gospel of the person that we love, that is of Jesus Christ, it affects our affections. Now, now here's what I mean. So you'll see just four basic components of that simple statement. The gospel affects our affections. One is the gospel. What do do I mean by that? Now, as we've heard before, gospel simply means good news. As even I preached last week, you see this in the Old Testament, where Isaiah says the good news is what? Our God reigns. That's the good news. That our God reigns, which means that God is sovereign and in control of all things. It's good news because our God reigns in such a way he brings salvation. And so when I'm speaking of the gospel, when I say it in that phrase this morning, the gospel, I mean all that, that and who our Lord loves, okay? When I say the gospel, it's all that Christ loves, all who Christ loves, all that he believes, all that he teaches, and all that he does. It is the holistic work teaching identity of our Lord is what the gospel encapsulates and encompasses. It's it's all of it. It is the beginning of it. The foreknowledge of God that calls us to salvation, justification in Christ. But it is even more that our Lord will sanctify us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and that ultimately through the finished work of God in our lives, he will glorify us and we will be without sin. And if, if you believe that, if you truly believe what our, who our Lord is and what he teaches and does and all that he, he is and encompasses, it will affect your affections. Now, what do I mean by affect? I mean it will change it will alter things in your life. It's unavoidable. Why do I use the word our? Because I want to say simultaneously, it will affect your individual life and it will affect our corporate life. It affects not only you, it affects those around you. Very specifically, as a local body of Christ, it should affect how we relate, interact, and care for one another. It affects us. The gospel affects our, individually and corporally, affections. And by affections, I mean our loves, our desires, even our bents and our leanings. Right? The way we would, we've got to even talk about it, it it affects our persuasions, what we are persuaded to do. See, the gospel, and this is what I'm going to argue from this passage, the gospel affects our affections. And what we're going to see from the way Paul ends this letter is that all that he's written before in Ephesians comes to bear in such a simple way, as it were, as he finishes the letter about what it means, about how he feels about those in really Asia Minor, not only Ephesians, but this, as you may remember now months ago, this circular letter that would have gone out to what we now call modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor, or as it was called in the New Testament time, in Roman times, Asia. But it affects our affections. 
So there's really an underlying question that we really should self-examine ourselves with and ask, that you can just ask now and begin to ponder on. And it's something that is worth pondering. Think about it is, who or what do you love? This is something that, that we should think about on a regular basis. What is it in my life that is driving my life? Who or what do I love? Um, we know that, that who or what we love changes the way in which we perceive things, the way in which we interact with other people. Right? The decisions we make in our lives be, become dictated by who or what we love. I mean, there's so many examples of this. I mean, I see a, a mother holding a small child. We have, we have a, a description for a mom that is compelled by that child that she loves if something 10 times her size or someone 10 times her size tries to take that child. We know she will fight like a mama bear. It may make no sense. It may make absolute, it may be insanity because there's no way, but that mother will fight as if that child's life depends on it because that child's life does. We know, we see, when someone takes, takes a, an interest and really loves someone, that we start seeing behaviors change that we can't explain. And we look like, they weren't like that before. Sometimes they become really goofy. Sometimes they just accentuate their goofiness, I understand. Other times they, they, they stop doing things like, why don't you like that anymore? Or they start doing other things. You never liked that before. Oh, I do now. You know, I, I still, as a vivid memory, a small child, we lived, I, I still, in, in Long Beach, California, where I live, uh, I, I loved spinach. You know why I love spinach? My dad loved spinach. And, and not the good kind. He ate it. It was like, pop. you remember Popeye and it was in a can and it came out? I won't eat it now. I don't like that stuff. But when I was a kid, my dad loved it, so I loved it. And we had some, some uh, neighbor friends come over, some little kids that I played with came over. They had dinner with us one night. And it was on the table. And I, of course, you know, um, I, I went in. I learned early, you know, scoop first, ask questions later, right? So that's how you eat. And, and so I had it on my plate, and one of them said, oh, I don't like that. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, I don't like it either. And I put it back. <laughs> My dad's looking at me, just chuckling, because he knows what I'm doing. If Oh, if that friend doesn't like it, then I don't like it. But this, it becomes this introspective question as you start looking at your life. And sometimes we come at this backwards, and we'll see that the evidences and the expressions that we have become evidences and expressions of what we love. And so what should drive us to ask is, who or what do we love? And I think you'll see that as Paul talks here. So here's, here's the basic kind of logical or syllogism, the basic logical idea that goes behind this. Who you love affects what you love, right? As I just illustrated by spinach. And what you love affects who you love, Right? I'm still convinced, I, I, I'm looking, I actually have copies of Wedding Vows. I was, by the way, I was not a cowboy fan before I got married. 
I'm pretty sure it's in my wedding vows. I'm not sure where, but I'm pretty sure it's there. I am now, so now I love the Cowboys. And if you love the Cowboys, it's an unrequited love. They forgot what it means to love their fans. We like to see them go into the second round of the playoffs. Such a noble goal, right? But it, it changed. I mean, I, I, seriously, like, I became a Cowboy fan because my wife's a Cowboy fan and my father-in-law's a Cowboy fan. And honestly, the Houston Oilers abandoned me and went to Tennessee, so I was kind of bitter anyway. But in any case, I love what, other, what my wife loves. And, and this will happen, right? You just start loving things and... And what you love affects who you love. It will change them. And ultimately, both affect how you love. Who you love and what you love will affect how you love. Just think about it. There are certain things that you probably do or don't do because someone you love likes them or doesn't like them. I mean, for no other reason than that. There are certain restaurants we frequent because we like them. There are certain restaurants we don't go to because we don't like them. Right? My children grew up. It was funny. We, we kind of laugh about this in our family. There were fast food restaurants. They basically didn't realize they existed because we never went. Because we went to one fast food restaurant, Chick-fil-A. That was it. Right? And so our kids were always like, what is that? Now one of our sons goes to Taco Bell, and it's like brought shame upon the family. I don't know, you know. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I eat Taco Bell. Look, if you eat Taco Bell, I, I'm with you. I ate Taco Bell from when I was in high school through college. It's how you make it, man. That's just, you know, because you can feed a family of eight for like a buck fifty or something, right? But in all seriousness, you know, when you think about it, just simple decisions in life that maybe don't, don't carry any moral consequences to them per se. Although if you eat a lot of Taco Bell, I'm just telling you, you better do a lot of exercise, but you can talk about that later. The reality is, is it affects how we love. Who we love and what we love affects us, and that's what you see here with Paul. Notice there in verse 21 in Ephesians 6 how Paul writes, So, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, right? Now remember, if you're looking, just look back a couple of verses. He just told them, basically, I'm in prison. If they didn't know it, they knew it now because he says, I'm in chains, right? And so he says, so that you, you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Do you see, just in those two verses, he has a love for those in Ephesus, and actually it would have been those churches in Asia Minor that he knew this, this letter would be going to, and for Tychicus. Notice, the, the, and we'll get to Tychicus in a minute, the beloved brother, but notice so that you may know how I am doing what I am doing. Anyone have the Tracker Jacker app on your phones? I, we, I'm sorry, it's Find My Friend or you know, on Apple. I don't, I'm, I'm not an Android guy, so I don't know, but I know their apps. That where you track where you... We still do. Our kids don't realize they can actually disable this. So that part we need to edit out later, guys, so it's not a recording. But we still track where our children go. Like, we know. Like, you know, we're, we just want to know they're okay. Because it affects us because we love our children deeply. And Paul knew, because he loved the, the Ephesians, those in Asia Minor, and they loved him deeply, that it affected them. 
Because who you love affects you. And it affects them. You may remember this deep love from Acts 20, which we read now many months back. But in Acts 20, you start seeing this love expressed by Paul for the Ephesians. In Acts 20, verse 17, it reads, Now from Miletus, he went to Ephesus. He sent to Ephesus, excuse me. He sent to Ephesus. That's significant. He's actually asking him, come to me. And he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Now, I know when we think of Asia now, we think of a massive continent. But back in in the first century Roman period, Asia is what we know as modern-day Turkey, basically. We, we got renamed. That's why we called Asia Minor, by the way. When we renamed the continent to all of Asia, we had to call it Asia Minor. That's, that's where the, the name basically comes from. And, and he, Paul says, I mean, just, just hear it. Do you hear the language? I lived among you. It's, it's you're my people kind of comment. I, I was one of you. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Right? They shared, and you notice how he goes on, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I mean, Paul is sharing, I, I shared life, not just in a cursory way with you. I mean, tears were shed, trials were shared. And this wasn't just for a, a short period, for, for years. I mean, this, it's a good chance it was three years or so that he's with them. I mean, they, they knew this man. He goes on in verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And then notice, if you're reading there in Acts 20, in in verse 20, he says, teaching you in public and from house to house. It, It wasn't just a public proclamation. He literally like, I went into your homes. And not just one home, like I went house to house. I was investing in your life. And so Paul has this deep affection for them that he's displayed. And he says that, that he really has to tell them, going back to Ephesians 6, I want you to know how I'm doing, what's going on in my life. Such a simple expression, but, but it's such a, an expression of friendship and value. We even still receive today uh, from friends of ours that we've known for years, and they'll send us the Christmas updates, Right? I realize that you ever got the Christmas update letters and here's what's going on in our kids' life. I, a lot of that fell, fell out a little bit because with Facebook now you can kind of figure out a lot's going on or, or Instagram or whatever your social media platform of choice is. But that says something, doesn't it? I mean, you just have interest in how their, how their family's doing. You know, this one had a child or this one got a job or this one graduated or, or hey, we're doing well. We went through a period of of illness or maybe cancer, but we've gotten better. Or, hey, we're walking through that time of suffering in our lives, but there's a genuine interest, and and Paul does this. Why? Because he's not just writing to anybody. He's writing to people whose lives he shared with. Now, uh, notice Tychicus there, the next one. Not only does he love those in Ephesus, but notice there, if you're going back to Ephesians 6 and verse 21, He's called, take us the what? The beloved. I love this man. Now, this is probably not a name that we're generally familiar with, right? Because no book of the Bible got named after him. We, we think of Paul's son in the faith as who? 
Timothy. That's, that's who we tend to think of. Or you may get the second, the second one, Titus, because there's a letter there. But when you read, you find that Paul trusted Tychicus because not only he loved him, he knew he was a faithful minister in the Lord. And he basically says, notice there in verse 21, he's so faithful and I love him and trust him so much that he'll tell you everything you need to know. He's basically saying, you can trust what he says as if I'm saying it to you. If you look and you go back, and we just going through and looking at this, Tychicus is the guy that it, it actually talks about, he's from Asia. In Acts 20, verse 4, if you happen to be there, you can look at verse 4. He's described as one of the Asians. So somewhere, he was from Asia, what we call Asia Minor. He was from the area that, that the letter he was taking back. By the way, he's also the one, if you look in the end of Colossians and Colossians 4, that carried the Colossians letter. Realize, if you, ever read, if you read Ephesians and Colossians, you'll find they mirror each other in a lot of ways. They're very similar because Paul wrote them at the same time. And so there's a lot. In fact, the ending of Colossians, if you look at it, Colossians 4, 7, and 8, and you compare it to Ephesians 4, 20, 21, and 22, you're like, man, they sound really, really similar. Yeah. He probably dictated them. He said, hey, put the same thing in this letter. The one that's going to Colossae may not be seen by everybody, so put this in the one that's going to go around. And then he says, and I trust the letters. I mean, there's no U.S. mail, right? I'm going to give it to somebody that will get it there. And if you read, you also find it likely Tychicus was the guy that delivered the letter of Philemon as well. Because Onesimus is with him. The, 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 uh, the, that he had a right to him. He says, here, carry this letter to Philemon. So, I mean, he was trusted because you don't just give a value possession like that to just anyone. And then you say, and he represents me. I, I know this young man. And you can go on. He actually, he trusts him so much that it's Tychicus that he sends to Ephesus. He, talk, he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy. And in Titus, he writes, when, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. In other words, as he writes to Titus, it's Tychicus that becomes one of the guys he's probably going to send to relieve him in his leadership. You hear how close the relationship was with this man and Paul. Not a name we probably are used to hearing because it's just not a, a name that we talk of a lot. But what it shows to us is if you love Christ, it will affect who you love. If you love Christ, it will affect who you love. I mean, you realize, Paul, why was Paul in Ephesus? It wasn't because Paul's like, oh, I want, to take a, you know, I want to take a summer trip to Ephesus. He was spreading the gospel. He was doing what his Lord had, had led him to do, to, to be the apostle to the Gentiles, the sent one to the Gentiles, and he's out. I mean, Paul... If he followed his roots, as it were, and stayed with it, he would have just been a Pharisee. He would have been a, a, a minister to the Jews. But because of the work of Christ, and he loved him and his calling, said, oh, I have to go take this gospel to the Gentiles. This is how he knows those in Ephesus and in the rest of Asia Minor, Colossae and Pergamum and the other cities. Actually, you'll see him in the, if you see the seven churches of Revelation, you see him there. And, and why does Paul know them? Well, he knows them because Christ sent him. And so if you love Christ, it will affect who you love. 
you will love people that you may never imagine you will love. Because this is what the gospel does. The second thing is if you love Christ, it will also affect your concern for others, right? Remember, the gospel affects our affections. And so the gospel is about loving Christ. It's about loving all that he treasures. And it, it will affect you, your concern for others. Notice the second verse there in verse 22 in Ephesians 6. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may what? Encourage your hearts. It's interesting. Paul is not primarily concerned about how he is. He's concerned about them. Right? This is why the, the wise teenager calls their parents when they're running late. Because if they know how much their parents care for them, they're going to call, even if it gets them in trouble. Because their parents worry. Because they love them. And if you love it will change the way you re inter or interact and relate your concern for another person. And Paul does that. You just see in this simple expression that he was sent for the purpose that you may know how we are. That is, so you know how Paul is and others that were with him. And that he may encourage your hearts. That he can encourage you. Because imagine, you hear, hey, Paul's in prison. He's in chains it's not gone well. And that's very discouraging. And Paul says, no, 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 I want you to be encouraged by what you hear. I want you to be built up in what you hear. Because what we realize is the gospel is relational in nature, not isolationist in nature. The gospel is not just about me. It's about us. The gospel changes the way we relate it changes the way we relate in the body of Christ. The way we relate to one another the body of Christ should be an act of evangelism to those who aren't in the body of Christ. It speaks to the goodness and the glory of God. It speaks to who God is. Why would those people relate with one another? Well, because the gospel affects us. It changes us. We love our Lord. And because of that, it changes our concern for one another. You see, Paul's realistic, and he knows encouraging is needed, and, and that concern for that drives why he sends this letter in part. I want you to be encouraged. It drives why, why he sends Tychicus so you can be encouraged. I don't just want you to get a dry informational letter, do these things. I want you to know at the depths of who you are that I have deep concern for you even still. And I want to see God moving in your lives. I want you to see and experience the working of the gospel among you. Be encouraged by that. So it secondly tells you if you love Christ, it will affect your concern for others. And then the third thing it tells us is if you love Christ, it will affect your desire for others. What you want for them. Notice in the, what's called the benediction the good word at the end of the letter. This is common to Paul in his letters. This is not unique to Ephesians. You will find other benedictions. I mentioned Colossians, Roman has this, Romans has this. You can go and look. Paul has these benedictions. But just take notice of what Paul 
prays for, the good word, his desires for those in Ephesus and the churches of Asia Minor. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You see the three things. He states it, he says these are the things and the way he states it just kind of like a fact. Peace be with you. It's, it's a desire, a wish, a longing that this is what they would have. I want peace to be to the brothers. Now, it's brothers there. It's the generic term that we'd use. We'd say brothers and sisters. He's talking about the, the Ephesians church, but also the other churches of Asia Minor this letter would have gone to. He says, I want peace among you. Notice the, the prepositional phrase that actually helps modify both peace and then love, and that is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just, I want you to get along, right? It's, I want peace to be the peace that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a different peace because it's a peace based on the gospel because the gospel affects our affections. It affects what we long and desire. It's a peace based out of the fact we follow the same Lord. It's a peace that says we will sacrifice for the same Lord. We will do what he asks, not to earn a salvation, but because it's been given to us. And our hearts are grateful for what he's done. And so he says, peace to you. I don't want you to live in conflict. I want there to be peace. In fact, it goes even a step farther. Think about Paul. He's the one that said, if at all possible, I live at peace with all men. I'm praying that you can live at peace, even among those who aren't followers of Christ. But that is a peace that must come from where? God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a contrived peace. It's not a stalemate. It's not a, we'll just, you know, we'll agree to disagree and just get along and and ignore one another. It's a, hey, we're going to relationally pursue together following Christ. And may God give us peace as we do that. But he also says that he prays for them. He says, love with faith. A love that comes from where? From God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. That is its source. That's where it comes from. But it's a love, as we we see there, with faith. That is, it's a love informed by and controlled by by faith, right? It's not just any love that we can kind of self-generate. It's one that God has given us through our faith in Christ. Because the gospel affects our affections. It changes that love. Because it plants inside of us a love that is not natural to us. Just like we would talk of an alien righteousness that God gives to us, that is a righteousness that's not our own, right? It's alien because it's whose righteousness? It is Christ's righteousness. It is a gift given to us when we express faith in Christ. I don't stand before God because I'm righteous in my own righteousness. I stand before God righteous. Why? Because I am in Christ. It comes from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something that is given to me because it's alien to me. He does the same thing with love. He imparts to us an alien love, a love that it was not natural to us. Because what is our natural love? It is the love of self. We turn in on ourselves. 
And Paul says, I pray for a love from faith. That is a love that is literally driven by your faith in Christ. And that drives your love for one another. You see, because if, if you love Christ, you love his gospel, it will affect your concern for others. And it will change your desire for them. The last thing he, he, he prays for, he says that he wants for them, is for grace to be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. That's interesting that he prays that they would still be given grace. Now, you may re remember grace in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Right? We are saved by grace. Well, what does that mean? And what does it mean that we still need grace? Well, simply put, we understand grace as the unmerited favor of God. But I just want to plumb that out just a little bit, to, to, to look at it just a little bit. Unmerited favor. Well, when we think of favor, sometimes we can just mean that God is leaning my way, right? Um, I coach basketball, and I've coached other sports. I like refs to favor me, to lean my way, right? If the call's on the edge, I want you to call for my team, not the other team, right? Okay, this is not God, that's not how God's favor works. God is not just leaning our way. If you look, what favor really is, is that God works on your behalf. Using my analogy, it'd be like if the ref said, oh, I got this, grab the ball, I made a basket for me. Right? You're like, hold on, that's illegal. Oh, yeah, well, if he's willing to do it, I'll take the points. Look at Romans eleven six, And I want us to understand from Romans 11 and 6, and I'm going to walk through two other verses. Romans eleven six 6 says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Now, Paul is, is finishing up. What is this whole idea that you are saved by grace mean? And he's going through this, and he's dealt with the issue of, of Jews and Gentiles, and, and, and what, what about works of the law? And, how does, and he finishes by saying, but if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. That is, by definition, grace is not your works, right? But that doesn't mean it's not someone else's work, right? See, sometimes I think we misunderstand grace in that, well, it's, it's, the, American, it's, it's the American idea, well, i got to pull up myself by my bootstraps, and I'll work as hard as I can, and then God will add to what I need so that it comes about. It's not how grace works. Grace says, I'm going to do what you cannot do. Look at Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul, writing to the Philippians, the second half of verse 12, Philippians 2, 12, he tells the Philippians to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? So grace is, as we we're talking about this, it's not that the Christian life becomes this I don't have to do anything, okay? That's a misunderstanding. We're, I'm going to get that in just a second. But notice the second part of it as you work out your salvation. 
For it is God who, what in you? Works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, it's, it's not a work that I self-generate. It's actually an outworking of the work of God in my life. This is why when we sing things like, and we say, well, you know, faith is even given to us. Well, yes, because God does that work in our life, right? If you're dead in your trespasses and sin, it's like to say dead people do what? Nothing. What dead people do? And the way we're described as being dead in our trespasses and sin. So how in the world is a dead person supposed to save themselves? The answer is they can't. Someone else has to save them, and that is the work of God. And so he works in you, right? It's not just God leaning your way. Hey, I'm going to nudge things so that the things go your way. It literally is God working in you on your behalf. And then, then notice that he says he does it both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He does it to bring about those things which please him. And Paul is praying for the Ephesians, I pray that grace that you needed to come to Christ, will it be work at you even now that you are in Christ? Right? That's what he's praying for them. That God's would, that God would still continue to work on their behalf, that he would do that work. Because left to their own, right? Paul even struggles with this, right? We, we, are, we are a weird people. If you believe in Christ, if you place your faith in him for your salvation, you are an odd duck, right? And I, I'm probably the oddest among us, right? I mean, my point being is this, you are a person who is simultaneously a saint and a sinner, right? So you're this person who has this desire to follow your Lord because God has worked in your life. And at the same time, you have this, this sinfulness that pulls at you that, that Paul calls the flesh that says, no, don't do that. And you're, it's just, it's, we're an odd duck because we're the already not yet people. You are already a saint, but you're not quite there. You're not yet. And so it pulls it. I mean, Paul talks about, go read Romans 7, 14. He struggles over this. Why do I struggle with, I want to do these things, but I do what I don't want to do because he's, he's fighting the fight of faith that goes on in the, in the walk as a Christian. And, and if left without the grace of God, guess, guess what? You lose so for us to become more like Christ, we need the grace of God, for God to work on our behalf to change us. Now, I want to see that last thing I said, that, that what I'm saying isn't that you just walk around, you don't do anything. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul writes this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Okay, put that together with what we just read in Philippians. Philippians says to work out our own salvation. So yes, there are, there, are, there are things, activities that we are supposed to be about in our Christian walk. We typically, they've historically called spiritual disciplines. Some people call them habits of grace. You, you, can, you can label them how you want, but there are things that are to happen. But notice what God primarily uses 
in order to bring about the change. There in 1 Thessalonians, not as the word of men, but what? You accepted it as the word of God. And the word of God, which is at work in you believers. See, God uses means of grace to change us. So when we talk about, oh man, what's this grace? Sometimes we don't really realize what God is doing. He is using circumstances. He's using prayer. He's using the word of God. He's using other people in our lives to bring about his work. This is literally him bringing about his sovereign plan for our lives to change us. We can become mistaken and think, oh, it's all me. And it's like, no, 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 this is all God working. And now it outworks in your life. So now be committed to follow Christ. And what that does, and you see how Paul prays for it, it changes the way we desire things for one another. We are praying that God would give peace. We're praying that God would give love driven by our faith. We're praying that God would continue to give grace to work in our lives. Because there's not a one of us here that if we know Christ, don't have sin in our lives that still needs to be eradicated, ridden of, worked out of our lives. But that's not because we aren't those who are saved. It's because we are the ones that are saved. And we want to be more and more like our Lord. Because this is God's good pleasure, to use the words of Paul in Philippians, that brings about his glory and brings about our good. Over and over again, we see God work in acts of grace to bring about his glory in our good. And Paul says, I pray that for you. So remember, the gospel affects our affections. It affects who we love. It affects our concern for who we love. And it affects our very desires. So I want you to go back, that, that self-introspection, uh, self-examination question, to think. Paul shows us through the evidences and the expressions and the concerns that he has here in just a simple closing letter of who he loves, why he loves them, and that the gospel has shaped him. And my, my question to you is, who do you love? Do you love Christ and his gospel? Or is there something else that you love and embrace? If you don't know Christ, I mean, I'm speaking in terms, so often when I speak, I'm like, if you know Christ, and you may be saying, what do you mean, do I know Christ? Of course I know who Christ is. And my answer is, no, 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 no. Have you placed your faith in Christ alone, in this person who is fully God and fully man, who came on this earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the penalty of the sin that you should be paying for. Your rebellion against God should bring about his wrath against your life, and our Lord took it upon himself. And my question is, have you placed your faith in that, in that person, in his work? If so, the Bible says that faith that you put into him is the means by which you grasp hold of that grace that he's given you, the grace of salvation in Christ. And so if you've not done that and expressed that, 
but you're saying, that's exactly what I want to do today, we're going to have pastors down front that you can say, I don't know how to say it, and we're going to say, we'll just help you say it. Because the prayer won't save you, but the work of the grace of God in your life that wells that up in you, say, that's the Lord I want to follow, that's the Savior I want, will help and pray with you, say yes, accept that one. And if you do know him, then my question is, are you betraying your Lord by loving other things that you shouldn't? Do you really love Christ? Notice those last little words on the end of, of that benediction. A love imperishable. It's the word that also gets translated immortal or incorruptible. It's that idea, it's that love that endures, that that. You may struggle, but it's the love that says, no, 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 I, I want my Lord. You may have the testimony of Paul right now that you're struggling. Man, I yeah, struggle with sin. And, and so we're going to have pastors here that will pray for you. You can pray for one another and say, let's fight the fight of faith together so that we live out this gospel among us and bring glory to our God, for it is for our good. Father, I just thank you. I am grateful that such a simple, simple thing, the ending of a letter, can show us such profound truths about the gospel. The Father, that the gospel affects our affections. And Father, that that means that if we love Christ, that God, it'll affect who we love, that it'll affect our, our concerns for them, that it'll affect our desires for them. And so God, I, I pray today, if there's any here that have never expressed that faith in Christ. If, Father, you've worked in their hearts this morning, would you, would you have them now confess with their lips, as you say in Romans, that Jesus is Lord? Father, that they would know by their expression of the faith that you brought about in their life that they would know Christ. And, Father, for those of us that know Christ and walk after our Lord already, would you work in our lives so that peace and love with faith and grace will continue to be in our lives to bring about your good pleasure for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray and by the Holy Spirit. Amen.